I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at Kind Farms Inc. All one word. That's K I N D P H A R M S I N C. And their website is kindfarmsinc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is Ryan10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. On an actor's spares, we have our first returning guest, Fisher Stevens, and his co-director, Malcolm Denville, to talk about their film, And We Go Green. Fisher did a film with Leonardo DiCaprio that we spoke about in Fisher's first interview on the show. And now they all re-teamed together and added Malcolm Denville into the mix to make this amazing film about racing, sustainability, and the difference between Formula One and Formula E. It feels like an action movie, even though it's a documentary. You have to check it out. And we talk about some of the other projects they have in the can. Here it is. Fisher Stevens, welcome back. And Malcolm Venville, welcome to An Actor to Spares. It's an immense honor to have you guys on. Fisher, you again. And I'm so excited to talk to you about your film, And We Go Green, that's now available on Hulu. It's amazing that you and Leonardo DiCaprio reunited again and brought Malcolm to the project and brought awareness to environmental endeavor and racing that I didn't know existed. Neither did I. Yeah. I had no idea it existed either. Uh, Malcolm, did you? Yeah, I did. You know, I did. Yeah. I, I sort of grew up watching car racing and it's, you know, I kind of was very aware of it. And uh, when Fisher called, it was a great, um, opportunity to dive into the middle of that bubble yeah well fisher can you help me how'd you guys get to know each other well we malcolm uh wrote a screenplay that i read in like 1999 i think about um it was called death road and it was about a road trip that is it, it was your uncle malcolm My uncle yeah his uncle took this incredible road trip right after world war ii to try to lose his virginity with his buddies in europe and drove all through Europe and it was a beautiful script and uh, Malcolm lived in London and came into New York to meet with us. And uh, I, I tried to produce that movie and it never got made, but we got to be really great friends and stayed friends. And Malcolm directed a movie that I was in called Henry's crime with Kim. Yeah. Um, uh, and we've always wanted to work together. And it just, I, I guess this would not have been the, 
way that I would have envisioned it, co-directing a documentary on electric racing cars. Yeah. Uh, when Leo asked me to do this movie, I called Malcolm because I knew nothing about racing and nothing about cars. And I thought it might be interesting if he was interested in it, that we do this together because of his background and my background. And I thought maybe together we could bring something unique to the project. So that's how it came about. So it was Leonardo DiCaprio that brought you to the introduction of Formula E? Yeah. I was, wow. I was in my editing room in uh, Manhattan. I live in Brooklyn. And he's like, meet me at the track in Brooklyn. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And he said, you know, where the electric cars race. And I said, no, I don't know. What are you talking about? And uh, I don't live very far from Red Hook, Brooklyn, where the race was. I just never heard Oh, that's it. where it is. I live in Williamsburg. I was trying to figure it out. I was like, is yeah. that Greenpoint? But no. Williamsburg. I wow. Mean, Sorry, it was it was Red Hook. Shot it. Um, so I met him there. Each he had the idea to make the film. I I wasn't sold. I met Alejandro. I thought he was amazing. But Alejandro said, "Why don't you come to Valencia and meet the drivers and check it out?" And we flew to Valencia. And I said I wanted to bring Malcolm, and he flew Malcolm over. And when Malcolm and I met there and met the guys and met everyone, we thought there's a cool movie here. Yeah, it's what I mean. I, I enjoyed it, and it was like it, at first I really thought it was a narrative because like you see these characters, and I wasn't sure if they were acting. You know what I mean? Because uh, some of them are kind of moody little fuckers. But uh, but uh, man, I like I, I loved it. I was like, it, it was there was such an amazing narrative because you know I, I didn't you know I think one of the racers articulates that like you have a better shot of going to the moon on a banana than you do of becoming a Formula One driver. Or becoming, yeah, or for yeah. racing for Mercedes and, yeah, re- replacing a Mercedes driver, yeah. So can b- before we dig in, can we kind of unpack the difference between Formula One and Formula E and, and maybe explain what Formula E is to the audience that may have not watched the film yet? Malcolm, you, you're better at this. Well, I mean, Formula One's been going since 1950, and it's a very Eurocentric sport, and even though it operates on a global level. And these racing cars race around racetracks and, you know, there's a champion every season. Formula E is exactly the same, except they're electric cars and the batteries are charged using aqua fuels. It's very green. Um, It's the same thing. Uh, You race many seasons and you produce a champion. Um, Formula E chronicles one season in in this four-year-old sport and chronicles the journey of the uh, of the driver that becomes champion. Wow. And then, so Formula One is internal combustion engines, right? Yeah. And that obviously admits carbon, and it's not great for the environment. And Formula E, and a very interesting about the film, is it was based on, in, it's like a solar power generator that generates an energy into a battery uh, that, correct me, I don't want to get this wrong. The cars are, are, yes, it's a lithium-powered battery, but they use aqua fuel to charge the cars. Which, which is drinkable, right? It's a biodegradable. It's, 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 a, it's a combination of algae and a combination of, of runoff biofuel. So... They all, ch- that is what charges the cars, the batteries. Um, and the cars are not flown most, they, 
I don't know if they're ever flown, but they're, they're taken by boat or, you know, they're transported by boat. So now boats are still carbon intensive, but much less so than, than flying cars, which they fly all the formula one cars. Yeah. Um, they try to minimize the carbon footprint in every aspect of this race. <clears throat> so it's the least carbon intensive sporting event on the planet. Wow. That's and amazing. We chronicle the fourth season because in the fifth season, the idea that Alejandro had was during the fourth season and the first, the first four seasons, there was no electric car that could go more than 30 minutes or more than 20 minutes um, without stopping. Yeah. And you can't like replace the batteries. The batteries are 300 pounds or more. So the first four seasons, after 20 minutes of a race, the driver would get out of one car and, and get into a new car. So the pit stop was about changing your cars. And Malcolm and I were filming the end of the fourth season because they were testing the new car, which would be the first car, electric race car, that could go for 40 minutes at a, at a clip without stopping. So we were testing, they were testing that car concurrently in the fourth season, and that was another through line of our story. I, and I, we're definitely about to unpack that, but for the audience, can you explain like, uh, so formula one, you know, obviously America loves NASCAR, which can be aristocratic, but formula one is like one of the like most intense and aristocratic and very hard to break into sports in the world. Is, is it, there's only 40 drivers, right? 20 in formula one, 20, 20. And there's, so it's 40 in formula E. Twenty, twenty, yeah, twenty. I think there's twenty two now because there's eleven teams or twenty four. But yeah, there's there's there are very few seats in either sport. And and now that we're you know obviously you mentioned there's the newer version. What's the speed difference we're talking about in Formula One versus Formula E? Well, Formula One is way ahead on Formula E because they go on bigger tracks. You know, you know, they have more more power. But um, Formula E, they do like 175 miles an hour, you know, but they could go faster, but it's, it's, it's a matter of energy. Yeah, you, you have to conserve it to make it through, right? And they race on city streets. They close down. The beauty of Formula E is they go to, like, exciting cities like Paris. They shut down a section of the city and turn it into a racetrack, and you race amongst people's dwellings and around offices and monuments. It's pretty glamorous. Yeah, it seemed that way. And then I'm curious, when you guys started filming, did you have like the idea to interview all the racers and kind of build the inner tensions between some of them? Or did that kind of reveal itself as you guys started filming? Well, you want to you, you wanna pick the most interesting character, like, like casting a movie. Like you said, you thought you were watching a feature. Yeah. So you want the most interesting characters. Um, you want drama. Even if you can heighten it a little bit, we knew there were these two Brazilian drivers that couldn't stand each other from Brazil. They grew up together. Yeah. Uh, Lucas Degrassi and Nelson Piquet. So we definitely knew that was a great storyline. We, uh, we got lucky with picking the Tachita team, uh, Jean-Eric Verne and, and Andre Lauder at the beginning because they were an interesting team. Um, they was a rookie who was 37 and, and his teammate who was his boss was 27, 10 yeah. years younger than him, arrogant, cocky guy. Um, so we, we, we did try to cast it right. Um, and we, 
yeah. Otherwise, you, we wanted to make a character piece. I mean, that was not. No, you, to- you totally did. That's what I got out of it. Yeah. What, and what was the other final racer, the one that had beef? Sam, was that his name? Sam Bird, yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, Sam was kind of our latest, later. Sam started really coming up uh, in, the, in the championship. And we had interviewed him early on, and he was a bit kind of stiff. And Malcolm and I were like, we got to loosen this guy up. He's a bit like, you know, feel, feels like we're doing a CNN interview for fuck's sake. Cause it's, yeah. Not. Yeah. And we loosened him up and we told him, Sam, look, you, you got to like swear a little, like let your real personality come out, man. So we got lucky that we didn't really even know he had animosity toward Jeb till, till right. Max, like we discovered that six weeks, eight weeks into the racing. I mean, they, they were former teammates, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we knew they were teammates, but we didn't know that they really had a lot. Yeah. You know? Wow. It's such a competitive sport, you know. And what's the, the beauty of making this doc? What I learned from working with Fisher was you, you set out with this general idea of what direction you want to go in, but you've got to be able to pivot. You know, you've got to be nimble enough to shift, shift your tracks very quickly. As, as the situation in the sport changes. One guy we were following, Felix Rosenquist, was hot, and then he just faded very quickly, and Sam came up. So we had to swing around and, fight, and dig into Sam's world wow. and then break Sam a little bit to, to stop him speaking in generalities and make him talk about what makes him tick. Right, Fish? Yeah. No. And, and to be honest, Felix had no relationship with Jeb whatsoever, and Felix is also very cold and kind of Swedish yeah. and not the most charismatic dude. So we would have been pretty uh, – we wouldn't have been in good shape, to be honest, if Felix had won the championship. I think this movie would have – we would have had to change the movie, right, Malcolm? We would have had to make it about other things. I think uh-huh. Formula E is interesting because a lot of the drivers in Formula E are Formula One rejects. Yeah. They're, they're drivers who have pissed off their management and got pushed out. So they're all, they've all got a fairly weighty chip on their shoulders and a lot of anger and resentment. So there's a, it's a redemption story for a lot of these drivers. Yeah, that's what I loved about it, the underdogs. Yes. And I'm curious, you know, obviously, Fisher, you have such an iconic career as an actor, director, documentarian, Malcolm, a narrative director, short, building your way into documentaries. Was it hard to gain the trust of, like, what seems could be, like, a very uh, – I don't know, put it politely, bureaucratic organization. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, let, me, let me just speak here first because what I, it was difficult for me, but it was really interesting watching Fisher because Fish was able to kind of uh, win the trust of the drivers. They're, they're super withdrawn. They're very shy. They're like, they're like uh, woodland creatures. They're very difficult to move close to and Fish got into them and infiltrated them, and that for me was amazing to to watch. That so that was a big component, I think. Yeah, how how were you able to achieve that, Fisher? Were you, was it just an individual trying to connect with them on the basic, most human to human level, or was it kind of just getting you know I don't know maybe going to bars or dinners with them and talking about what you guys were planning to do? It was a combination of that and just kind of imagining what it would be like if I was them. Yeah. Try to put myself in their headspace. Um, yeah. I mean, it took time to gain their trust for sure. I think it helped that I was an actor and some of them had seen me and shit. So they didn't think I was some 
Frico, you know, and others just like, I just work them and try to hit my moments. But the other thing was that we really made it clear to Formula E that we were going to make the movie we wanted to make and they couldn't tell us what to shoot and what not to shoot. So, wow. But Alejandro gave us a lot of access and Alejandro gave us a lot of trust. You and know? he's the head of like Formula E? Yeah. It's kind of his baby. Yeah. And basically the impetus for his creation of the sport was that he did work in Formula One, but he knew that that was not a lo- no longer a sustainable method in the long term for, you know, the environment and both just racing in general. And that this kind of, uh, you know, going green element was integral to the sport. But he had the foresight to see it before Formula One, you know, that becomes obsolete. Is that is that what? Did I say that? Would you say that's right? Yeah. Oh yeah, he's a visionary character. I mean, he's a really highly evolved human being. He's a he's a politician. He was a member of the European Parliament. I mean, this guy knows how to play. He knows how to shut down a city. He knows how to bring money and bring players and bring sport excitement. I mean, you know, I often think about the Fire Festival, Formula E race in a city like Paris or London or New York is like 10 fire festivals. Wow. And they, they go like clockwork. They're really well organized and they're, they're highly entertaining. I mean, he's a raconteur at the highest level, isn't he, Fish? Yeah, for sure. And he knows how to bring the party to wherever he goes. Yeah, he looks like a really cool dude to hang out with. Yeah. Love to, to yeah. Do that. <laughs> I miss him. It's a bummer we can't do publicity together because you know we're all in different countries. But uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, I definitely miss him. And uh, he uh, he saw the the writing on the wall for Formula One. And Formula One, you know, the the viewership has gone down. Big yeah, time. I sort of heard even the attendance at the races has gone down drastically. Well, um, interesting story about Alejandro is that we were in Rome shooting and. Um, Fish was saying to me, like, oh, how do we know we're in Rome? You know, and then we, we like, we turn on the TV one night and there's Alejandro with the Pope blessing the car. And it was like, if there's a guy who can get you the Pope for your movie, it's Alejandro. God, what a hustler. I love that. And then I'm curious, Fisher, since Leo introduced you to the sport, did he already have a rapport with some of the drivers or not really? He was just a fan of watching it. No, he didn't know. No, just a wow. fan. No, no. Wow. He, he was just into spreading the electric car message. Yeah, totally. Kind of moving his brand, putting his name on a movie where it's electric cars. I think that's kind of what was his interest. Doing another environmental film that he didn't have to be in very much. That uh, <laughs> Selling it with sport. <laughs> wow, I love that. That's beautiful. And so for the audience, uh, basically... Every, you know, at first, I think it was like BMW and Audi and a few others were not quite yet in the sport. Is that? Is that yeah, Renault, Renault were in first. Yeah. Renault. And so then every team utilizes its own software to get the maximal benefit from the battery. And the driver has to learn to utilize it to like braking helps accumulate energy. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, regenerative braking, like your Toyota Prius has. Wow. Very, yeah, but um, it's interesting. It's different from Formula One, Formula E, because the software engineers and the it's a very, very highly it's just a very highly evolved tech game, and the drivers 
uh, there's much more uh, uh, pressure on the drivers to when they're driving to manage energy. Whereas in a NASCAR or Formula One car, it's like they don't have any of those concerns. Yeah, because I remember seeing like maybe it was just one moment, but a, but a driver ran out, right? And, yeah. he, and he couldn't compete anymore. It happens a lot. Yeah. You have to be able to gauge your energy. And you're, even though you have your team and your earphones telling you, you know, you have so-and-so, it's, it's hard. It's a whole other skill, you know? Um, well, that's amazing. One of the things that I loved about this film was, like, it looked like, it, you know, going back to what I said earlier, it looked like it was shot on a movie. Was this, like, shot on a – I don't even know because I'm so – I'm just on the acting side. Like what's the equivalent of like a red of documentary or was it shot on a red? Cause it's just like the quality is amazing. The cinematography is like you guys, like the shots. I was just like, this is so cool. Well, we had great cinematographers, you know, who are good friends of ours who are available and come and help us on, on a, on a smaller budget project. We use anamorphic lenses, which is, um, and very wide lenses as well. So, we were close and, you know, being immersive was critical. And that's very much in Fish's way, you know, where the camera is very fluid, very active. Um, and the anamorphic lenses give you a very cinematic um, effect, right, Fish? Yeah, it was first time I'd shot. Malcolm has shot a lot of commercials using anamorphic lenses in movies. And I'd never used them before. But I think because the car is shaped the way it is, you want to be able to capture the width of it. And the anamorphics just had a real cinema feeling to it. Uh, we had a great, you know, like you said, great DPs and colorists. And we uh, we shot some of it on 35 millimeter film in New York and in Paris. And Oh, that's what I was seeing. It really was shot on film. Some of it, but just a little, but yeah, tasted it. Um, we really, we really paid attention to the look and made it. We wanted you to feel like you were there, you know, and we were really affected by John Frankenheimer and Grand Prix and, you know, I mean, I don't know. We had a lot of real great uh, nights of watching footage of great films that we admired and tried to emulate a little bit. I remember, I remember having lunch with John Frankenheimer. I was fortunate enough while he was directing commercials uh, towards the end of his life. And I, I sat down with him over lunch once and asked him if he could break down his movie Grand Prix, how he did it <laughs> technically, where did he mount the cameras? What, you know, what lenses, what focal lens, how did you approach this? How did you approach And he was so kind to be able to expound on all of that over a lunch. And I really drew on that experience of meeting him on, on this project. Totally. And I'm so curious, you know, as you guys shot this, you know, how did it kind of start to change as you got to know these drivers better? Were there, were you rotating who you focused on? Because like, you started to discover tensions there or, you know, I, I imagine there could have been seven different edits to this movie because it looked like there was no shortage of footage. Yeah. We had to pivot at times depending, but the two guys we always kind of stayed with, I'd say there were three or four people we were always keying on the Tachita team, Jeb and Andre Lucas Degrassi, because we always thought he was going to win or come close. Yeah. And Nelson PK because we knew him and Lucas had this history and we knew that Nelson would be a very good person to bring us to Formula One because he was thrown out of Formula One because he was asked by his teammate, by his team to crash and hit the wall and let his teammate win so that uh, his teammate could be closer to winning the championship. And they said, if you do that, we'll keep you on the team. And he did that. He got caught. 
He got thrown out of Formula One. Oh. His father won Formula One. Yeah, he was yeah. very – and he didn't even attend his own son's races. Isn't that correct? Yes, did not. There's a lot of father and son stuff. So those four were – the four we keyed on, I'd say, from the first race in Hong Kong, Malcolm, right? We were, yeah. we were basically keying on those four from day one. And then the others were more fluid and, you know, we were feeling – like we said with Sam Bird – we started with interviewing with him. It didn't go much far, very far. And then we keyed on Felix because he was winning. And then it just, you know, Felix went away and Sam came up and like that. I think, you know, we spoke about this before. It was like, it was like casting a movie, you know, or creating a screenplay. You're looking for, yeah. you know, Jev basically hated anybody else with a steering wheel, you know. Yeah. yeah he wanted that championship so badly. So we had that drive and then we have, the conflict between uh, him and Sam. You know, we're looking for all these conflicts and antagonists and protagonists, all the basic features of, of drama we're looking for. Yeah, well, you really achieved that. And I'm curious, you know, one of the things I loved about it, you know, obviously uh, we had a very famous movie in America last year, Ford versus Ferrari, and that kind of exposed the Le Mans element. But one of the coolest things I thought about the film is, I don't know if this is like how they, you know, automatically like film the sport for broadcast, but it was like the GoPro shots or seemingly GoPro in the cars and then being able to hear what the drivers were saying as some of them were like trying to, to pass each other or crash and bumping the other one. Yeah, yeah that was good stuff. We, we, we always wanted more of that. Um, that, that was, we, we, we couldn't control that because you can't mess with the cars during the race. Um, because that those are the FIA rules. Got it. Um, so we were taking from the you know from the broadcast those, but we Malcolm and I we 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 want we crave that stuff as much as possible. Yeah, because that POV kind of gives you, in the best sense of the term, that voyeuristic experience of being in that car. And yeah, they did eventually let us pick the drivers where the cameras were because the cameras can only right Mark, they're only giving three cameras a race, right? Um, yes. Yeah. The, the problem is with their material, their TV broadcast was they look down on the cars, which is, gives you a sense of who's in the lead and who's second, third, etc. cetera. Yeah. What we wanted to do is be much lower than that. And they were really helpful in getting us into some really sensitive parts of the track where we could get our cameras lower to get a more, to get a more immersive, a more impactful angle. And, and uh, for, the, for the viewers, because I didn't understand it, and I don't understand Formula One, but basically there's how many races in a season? There's 12 to, 12 to 15. Every, 12. It's, it's not the same every year. And, and it's not a matter of one, two. It's an accumulation of, of points throughout the season, right? Yeah, there's a point system. So if you win first place, you get 25 points. Second place is 18. Third place is 15, and then it goes down. You also get points. Like if you're in the pole position, you get a point. If you have the fastest lap, you get a point. So there, it, it's very similar to Formula One, the point system. I think it's almost identical. And, and the the positioning of the cars, they, they have to do a lap, like a trial lap, to decide who goes where at every yeah. race. Yeah. It's called cool. qualifying. Qualifying. Yeah. Much, 
much more articulate. Yeah. That's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, no, no, it's, yeah, that's the official name. Yeah, qualifying is pretty interesting because they they just have one lap to prove their metal, and uh, it, it's a very highly charged lap, isn't it, Fish? Yeah, it's it's in t- it's so important because if you qualify in the top five, you have a much better chance of winning the race. Yeah. So, um, yeah, for sure, crucial. A driver has to be able to push the car to its limit, but there's so many corners he has to take, left, right, hairpins, that if he pushes it too much on one corner, he's cooked his whole lap, and he finds himself at the back of the grid, and he's got a lot of pressure on him, his team manager, his teammates, his sponsors, everybody's glaring at him. So... It's a very sensitive, highly kind of um, charged lap, isn't it, Fish? It's crucial, and they're very nervous, and it's a big deal, for sure. Amazing. And then how long was the production? Was it a year, pretty much, or was it two years? No, it was a year. A year? Basically a year. Yeah, a little – yeah, yeah. We started filming the first race, and we ended the last race, and then we edited. So with editing, about a year and – Three months, four months, right, Mounts? Yeah. Yeah. We did a lot of um, – you know, we, we went to England, to McLaren. To, we, did, we did not just the races. We did, other, you know, lots of trips to visit drivers and, and other places like that. Yeah. We had a great editor, Gabriel Olsen, who was a really, uh, a really strong visionary editor, wasn't he? Gabe Rhodes. Gabe Rhodes. Sorry, Gabe Rhodes. Sorry. Excuse yeah, he's amazing. Well, that's the thing I love about this film is like documentaries at some point they can kind of get uh, introspective if it's a particularly heavy topic. But this one is, I mean, that's, I can't say it enough. It feels like an action movie the whole time. It's just like, whoa, you know? And I, I love the meta, like they literally say, and we go green as a race starts. Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. We had a great time making it. Obviously, the world was such a different place. Yeah. Uh, it's incredible. I think what's interesting about um, Formula E is that after coronavirus, it'd be really interesting to see what ma- what car manufacturers are doing, you know, because to build a gas-powered car, it has so many moving parts. Yeah. So much intense manufacture, whereas an, uh, an electric car has very few moving parts. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to swing towards electric. Yeah, that's what it seems like. And that's what I want to ask, you know, Fisher and Malcolm, you know, I I know you guys are are righteous and environmentalists as we all should be. What did you kind of take away from the sport? Like, do you think, and the answer may be no for a very long time, like, will those kind of batteries ever be able to utilize in in boats or planes? Or do you think it's still going to be a really long journey? Because like, uh, you know, Elon Musk had his, his battery company for a long time, but I think it went under, didn't it? Or oh, no, it's Solar City. It's doing really well. Oh, it is great, great, and doing really well. Um, no, the, the it's just getting better. I, I happen to know, like planes, they're testing planes right now, but the, um, like six passenger plane, seven, five, six yeah. passenger plane. Um, those planes are. The radius is from 50 to 250 miles. Not very, you know, not very much. Um, the other thing is that um, boats are much, I think they're further advanced, but we're really far away from like jumbo jets. 
being able to go to Paris to New York or something like that, yeah. carrying 300 passengers. I know that we're really far away from, but I but, did see, I did see that uh, on the recently. There's a a small passenger jet that's fully electric that's coming on the market, like a ten seater. Wow. And and what 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 about something as simple as smartphones? I mean, I know they have solar powered chargers, but still, you, at the end of the day, you know, you have to plug this into an electricity port. Do you think they'll be able to like have a phone that you can put in the sun and that'll create a battery for it? Or one thing we learned making Formula E that there's a new there's a new battery chemical called graphene. It's not it's in its infancy, but you can charge a car battery in 15 seconds. Wow. Yeah, and they're still working on it, you know. That, that's moving really fast. That stuff. Yeah. Cars are moving super fast, and their prices are going to go down. Charging stations are – look, the coronavirus, the fuel market collapsing, I, I think all this is great for electric cars and great for uh, alternative energy. Yeah. And I, 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 if you guys don't mind, I, I would like to talk to you. I mean, how, it's a it's a very heavy time in the world, and you know we need to be supporting Black Lives Matter and all those organizations. But let's start at COVID. How are you guys healing and dealing with the whole situation? I know you're in London, Malcolm and Fisher. Are you in New, back in New York? Uh, I'm in Woodstock, New York now, but I've been in and out of Fort Greene, Brooklyn, Woodstock, and. Connecticut. I've been I've been moving with my family. We've been moving around a little bit. Have you guys been okay? You've been yeah, no, we're yeah. great. You know, white privilege, man. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, <laughs> feel uh, so guilty about it every day. Yeah. But I, 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 lo- I love your post, Fisher, on everything you've been doing, you know, politically and socially for, I mean, you're, you're a real hero to New Yorkers and uh, into the world. I ain't done shit compared to a lot of these people, but thank you. But um, yeah, I, I think, look, this is a really good, important time. Um, I mean, Malcolm knows how I feel about Boris Johnson, which isn't much, but um, I still think he's a lot better than the moron in the white house now. Oh God. Actually, what's so frightening to me is um, Malcolm. I want to say, and give him a little kudos here too, is we finished making formula E and Leo's company uh, and Radical Media, who we did Formula E with, approached me to work on this Ulysses S. Grant miniseries. Um, and Malcolm, his name came up, and I was like, why doesn't he direct it? And they were like, yes. And Malcolm directed it, and it's six hours on History Channel. It's broken all the History Channel records. It's a beautiful piece, and it's so scary when you think about what this country went through back then and how we're still dealing with the same problems of race, yeah. the same problems of bigotry. Um, and, you know, watching that, watching George Floyd's video, watching all these videos, it, it's incredible to me, you know, that uh, we're still dealing with it. And the civil war wasn't that far, far off. So uh, I just want to do a plug to watch Grant. Um, which is a beautiful miniseries based on Ron Chernow's book. But we, uh, we, white people created this and white people have to, we have to fix it too. Yeah. We have to step up. And, you know, I was quite surprised that the NFL finally came up and supported it as they should have done. It's very convenient for him to do that now because um, 
you know, the, the, the league is taking a hit. They have to play now for Corona, during Corona. And yes, I was surprised and I'm glad finally. And the Congress took a knee today. And, you know, you look at Colin Kaepernick taking a knee and then you look at that horrible officer kneeing on, putting his knee on George Floyd. And I don't know. I was a biggest Michael Jordan fan. And I don't know if you saw that documentary, but I was the biggest Michael Jordan fan. And then in 1990, I was also doing political work even back then. And there was a black candidate, Harvey Gantt, running for Senate against Jesse Helms, who was basically a KKK member. In the yeah. Yeah. And I remember Michael Jordan refused to back Harvey Gantt. And I turned on, I became a Pippin fan through and throughout. Yeah, the last dance told us all, you know. <laughs> my, 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 my friend and former guest, I should say, Devin Kincannon, edited that, that they got uh, – so I had Devin on the show a few weeks or – no, like two months ago, and they, they weren't going to release that till the fall, but once the season got canceled, they called Devin, and they are like, we need to turn this out now. And they spent the first, like, three weeks of quarantine working 24 hours editing that between, like – all four editors. So, yeah, it, it, it was such a great thing. And, and Malcolm, uh, I, I do want to talk to you about your experience because uh, before we were recording, we, we spoke that you got to London. Can you talk a little bit about the situation over there and, and you know, the climate and how things are going? You know, in England, it's, it's a very different scene here. You know, we're, we're not part of a big human experiment, which is America. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a very, you know, like uh, it's, this is the old world. You know, and uh, racial problems are, are just not as evident in a day to day. We're just not as segregated as you guys. Yeah. You know? And and you have, and, and, I forget, forgive me for being ignorant, but I know with the colonies, but do you guys have this fraud of a history with black culture as America or, or no? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we, obviously America was part, was a colony of England. You know? Yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, the English have got so much. Um, guilt to suffer and to bear, you know, for, for everything they did in Asia, for everything they did in Australia, for all the Aborigines yeah. they wiped out. I mean, where, where do we have, where do I stop? Where do I begin? It's, this, yeah. it's, it's painful, the, but the, the white sins, Oof, God, it's just the, you know, the civil, the civil rights movement began in the civil war or just before the civil war. And it's the civil rights war is still going on right now. And it's so evident, isn't it? You know, you have to turn on the TV or your laptop, and, and Fisher and Malcolm, uh, Malcolm and I were talking about this briefly before you came on, Fisher. I heard someone to articulate the other day, uh, one of my favorite philosophers, Slavoj Žižek, that, uh, you know, we're, we're in the midst of a revolution, but we don't see it as such because history is dictated. Revolutions have taken very different forms. But now that, you know, we live in the matrix and have Zoom and things like that and protests and being able to, to broadcast, it's, it's a bit different. Do you? Do you guys think that was a fair assessment or, you know, do you think we still have to do a lot more to really get the, I mean, imperative change that we need? I think we're, I think this is just the beginning because yeah. I don't know. First of all, think about this fascist president. Yeah. He's got the state department, the justice department, William Barr, fucking He's asshole. All these guys backing him. The question's going to be, will the military back Trump if, if he lose, 
if he what happens if he loses and doesn't want to step down, which is very, very. Yeah. Bill Maher's been preaching that for a long time. Um, we 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 are at, we're at a crossroads, man. I don't think we you know, I, I, it's been a really good day the last couple of days for the protests. You know, police departments are owning up. Um, yeah. But I don't know what's going to happen. And also, we don't know, like the second and third waves of COVID. What is that going to look like? So we have a long way to go. I don't know. It, it's going to take a lot of, it's going to take a, the next generation to really, we're going to see what happens. I mean, Trump has unleashed this, just given real permission for white supremacists yeah. to start acting out. And Trump is a white supremacist. Trump, a thousand percent. Trump's father was a member of the KKK. Let's not forget that. So no. I don't, I don't know what the hell, and let alone he was best friends with Jeffrey Epstein and chooses to deny that now. <laughs> well, yeah. Let's, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I want to keep we'll, we'll buoy it back to, to positive. You know, um, you know, Fisher, uh, Malcolm, I don't know if you were involved. Uh, you had uh, probably the best march ever with Tiger King. Did you see that being such a such a sensation? Or do you think that was, you know kind of right time, everyone's at home and yeah. everyone, it was kind of escapism in a very odd sense. Well, yeah, the COVID made it a sensation for sure. It wouldn't have been, it would have been like a really cool, like, Oh wow. Did you see that? But it, yeah. it turned into a whole other thing, you know, because we're all home, you know, it's to be honest, I think we, the best thing that happened for the, for black lives matters and for these protests is that we're all home. Yeah. Because people got nothing else to do. They can't go shopping. Totally. So they have to go. So they're like dealing with the problems finally. So I, I'm hoping, you know, that there's a cure, there's a vaccine quickly, but in, 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 in the short term, everybody's got to be smart. But at the same time, we got to keep putting the, the pressure on these governments and especially our federal government, which is literally like, I mean, we're very close to, yeah, I mean, it, it all the writing is on the wall of a fascist regime, which now runs, you know, it was good to see Colin Powell speaking out. Yeah. Oh, about time, man. Before. We need Mattis was good. You know, let's see what happens. Romney, Romney went and protest. I, I saw, I retweeted that today. <laughs> good. There's some, there's some positive steps, but like now we need more. It, it really has to kind of, this has to be just the beginning, you know? Yeah, and the, and the center really has to believe, like, all right, this guy's out of control. He wants a dictatorship, you know? Like, this is not a way to run the country. He's abusing every law to its utmost extreme and declaring war on American citizens. But I do want to get back to the film and, and, and be positive. I'm curious, you know, because... As this podcast has grown a bigger and bigger audience, I get so many people that reach out to me and, you know, ask questions that I should be asking filmmakers. And I want to ask you, Malcolm and Fisher, you know, you both have such iconic careers. Can you talk to me about the decision to go the festival route with this film? Well, you you always want to go festivals and then hopefully sell it. Uh, it just became unfortunate that we sold it and uh, all this, you know, had a I, time to release it. And this was our release date. So mm. you never know. But I still think everything happens for a reason. So we're going to be fine. And, you know, we, we were lucky. We played a bunch of great festivals, Toronto, and we were supposed to be at South by. And it, oh, that could be. Yeah. Oh, you know, man. So it, it all works out. Um, and, you know, we 
we we sold this at at a festival kind of thing. So here we are. But that's we're amazing. With it, yeah, it's 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 a wonderful film, and and I'm. I'm so grateful that you guys enlighten a sector of, of, of racing that I just, you know, I've never been into that thing, but it's incredible. And, and especially the way it ties into the way the environment needs to head. And, you know, parting few questions for you guys, you know, Fisher, Malcolm, what, what, what's going on next for you? You know, Fisher, last time we spoke, you were about to do a movie with, with our mutual friend, Dean Winters. What's When's that going to come out? Uh, I don't know, but it's, uh, it's coming out, and we finished it with Justin Timberlake and Dean, and it came out great, and I'm excited, and there'll be a release. Uh, you'll be able to read about it soon. That was the one you shot in Oklahoma, right? No, in uh, New Orleans. Louisiana. In New Orleans. Louisiana, okay. Not, not New Orleans, in Louisiana, yeah. And, and, and Malcolm, how about you? What's next well, for you? Well, you know, Grant just came out last week, so I'm just done wrapping that up. And, um, you know, I've just got a few plates spinning. I'm trying to, uh, you know work out, you know, what's, what's the next viable project. You know, I'm spinning a few projects, reading quite a lot at the moment, using coronavirus to kind of catch up. Raising our kids. Yeah. Well, you guys are amazing men and amazing artists, and I'm so grateful for having you on. And, and final question, you know, um, as we've obviously talked about, there's a lot of darkness going in the world. What's inspiring you guys at the moment? I mean, I know the protests are going on, but like, I think, uh, I think we all need to be buoyed to something right now to not get lost in, ironically, cave to despair, you know? Well, I, I, you know, I like the Gettysburg Address. Mm. It's a great one. Lincoln's great. The yeah. better angels of our nature. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just helps. It just helps me when I read it, you know, the promise of something greater. Yeah. Back when we had leaders that knew not only how to write prose, but how to give a great speech, you know? Yeah. I've been pretty inspired by two, uh, two people. One is uh, Brian Stevenson, who was a civil rights lawyer. Um, they made a movie about him called Just Mercy, starring um, Jamie Foxx and uh, Michael B. Jordan. Wow. And Listening to him talk about the riots and the protests has been very inspiring. And also by Professor Dr. Eddie Glout, who teaches at Princeton. Um, just listening to him on the radio about his point of view about the riots and about being a black man in America and, and, and being de- having dealt with police. Those two men have, have been my inspiration uh, these last few weeks. It's beautiful. Well... Fisher, Malcolm, you, you think I'll team up on another doc or a narrative maybe oh, soon? Yeah, for sure. We're trying to figure that shit out now. All right. Well, let yeah. me know when you need a, a guest star just under 10 lines. I'll, I'm your guy. Right. But uh, Malcolm Vanville, Fisher Stevens, you guys are, so are true artists through and through. I'm right. so grateful that you took the time to come back on the show. Fisher and, and Malcolm, thank you for coming on. And for the audience, what, what's the best way to get the word about the film and to – to keep going and build the steam. It's on, uh, it's on Hulu and it's called, and we go green and yeah, check it out. And I don't know what it'll be on iTunes, probably in Europe, right? Max? Um, I hope so. It's channel four at the moment on channel four's um, website, all four. Okay. And, and what's the, what's the best way for people in Malcolm to watch your Ulysses project? Uh, on the history channel, they're showing it today, actually all six hours in one, one straight hit. 
Is, it, but is, it, is that available on streaming or iTunes for purchase well, well, yet? I'm on history right now. I think it'll oh. come out. I think um, it'll be on iTunes. Okay, you know, great. Uh, Want it? Somebody there bringing Lionsgate are bringing it out on DVD on Father's Day. <laughs> no <laughs> way! <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much. I love you guys so much. Let's let's do this again All next right, project. Right. And I got so much love for you guys. Yeah, and right. take hey, take care of your families and stay All positive. Right. All right, All right. much right. love. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.